God of grace, open our hearts and minds as we experience your word. Silence any voice in us but your own so that we may clearly hear you and what you are calling us to do. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 through 16 and verse 26. Listen now for God's word to you. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees, and every kind on earth that bear fruit with a seed in it. And it was so, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with a seed in it. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so, God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. Then God said, Let us make humans in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Reverend Victoria Lors founded an organization called the Seminary of the Wild. It's an organization working to foster a sense of wild spirituality. It's a kind of spirituality that bridges the gap between God being strictly up here, nature being strictly over there, and people being strictly over here. But before leaving the church to found this organization, she worked as a minister for upwards of 20 years. And during one of her positions, she was teaching an evening class on one of Father Richard Rohr's books. Each week, the same group of people returned to work collectively through Rohr's theology. And week after week, the same person returned to the class to say that Rohr's images of God made no sense. And so a few weeks into the class, Lors finally asked him, what then is your image of God? He responded, God created the world 
and then left. The rest is up to us. To Lorz's surprise, the class nodded in agreement. She was completely bewildered and lost track of the discussion, and eventually she asked the class to stop talking and to stand up and to go outside and to look up at the stars. A few months later, someone in the class told her it was the first time they had stopped to look at the stars in years. And so naturally, when I heard this story, I immediately tried to remember the last time I looked up at the stars, hoping that it was in the last week or so. But to my surprise, it was three years ago that I have a clear memory of stopping what I'm doing and looking up at the stars. It was four in the morning, and I was with my family driving cautiously up the winding road of Mount Haleakala. There were no street lamps to guide us, just the dull headbeams of our rental car and a very limited supply of coffee. I remember that part clearly. We pulled over at a rest stop on our way up the mountain, and upon getting out of the back seat, I looked up at the vast expanse of the stars, thousands of constellations I had never seen before that light pollution had hidden from me back home. The beauty of the universe seemed endless. And it feels like yesterday, but that was three years ago. And the stars. That's one of the last lines of our excerpt from Genesis 1 this morning. And the stars. Stars get a lot of attention in the Bible, of course. God tells Abraham and Sarah that their descendants will be as numerous as the stars. The Magi of the Gospels follow a star that leads them to the birthplace of Jesus. And Genesis says that God created the sun and the moon and the stars. Genesis is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and the very first thing it does is inform us that our God is creative. So creative, in fact, that God arranged the constellations. See, the book of Genesis is the very beginning of this ancient library of texts that we're still drawing from today. The word Genesis quite literally means beginning, and the opening line, when God began to create the heavens and the earth. This very line brings us into an epic narrative of God and God's people that spans centuries. Genesis alone, just the book of Genesis, captures the story of God's people from pre-creation all the way to the land of Egypt. We get this cast of characters that show us what it means to be human, and especially what it means to be human in relation to God. But before there is a story, before there is any narrative to unfold, there is darkness, and there is chaos, and there is God. That's where Genesis begins. Now I'm sure this news will come as a complete shock to you all, but I am preparing for seminary at the moment. In fact, it's the reason I only have one more week here at Shandon. And I am so grateful for every moment that I have spent with you all. But I received an email from my grad school program the other day that I didn't know I needed or even wanted to hear. It was about this chaos. 
See, sometimes I am so struck by the chaos that I convince myself I'm the only one who notices it. And I know that's not true, but the very function of chaos is to make us feel isolated. And so this email is from the theologian Joyce Mercer. She's a professor at Yale Divinity School. And it reads, Dear incoming student, very personal from the beginning, <laughs> I write this letter at a fraught moment when the world seems to be in the grips of self-destruction and chaos. Environmental desecration threatens the life of planet Earth and all who dwell within it, even as people everywhere continue to grapple with the effects of a global pandemic. Growing numbers of people are displaced from their homes by war, famine, and violence. I'll spare you the rest of that paragraph, but the list does go on. But then she says, in such a time as this, you have made a decision to attend divinity school. I applaud that decision and the hope it represents for the better future that we can build together. Now I needed this reassurance for a number of reasons, a reminder that even in, perhaps especially in, a chaotic time like this, for me, choosing to go into ministry is a hopeful decision. And that's the marvelous thing about this Genesis story. It doesn't shy away from the darkness. It doesn't neglect that the chaos exists. In fact, that's the first thing that we learn. It tells us explicitly instead that God is present within the chaos. God remolds it into something marvelous. And this is what I call hope. The belief that out of chaos, something new can still spring forth. That is hope. The Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney is a scholar of the Hebrew Bible, and she refers to this scene at the beginning of Genesis as life-giving darkness. There is this deep reservoir of water, all things are unformed, the universe is in total disarray, and still, still in this unsettling chaos, the Spirit of God is hovering over the water. She writes, the God we meet in Genesis teaches us there is nothing to fear in the darkness, for that is precisely where God spins her web of life. So God takes the chaos of the cosmos and as the artist God is, begins to tap it for its creative potential. In just day one of our story, we have this dazzling new invention called light, and God calls it good. God brings something new, something different, something luminous into the chaos. And God calls this newness good. So God continues in our story to create and to organize. There is a sort of rhythm to the chaos that God introduces. There is morning and there is night. There is land and there is water. There is vegetation that springs forth from the earth and there is the sun and the moon and the stars. The creation story offers only a glimpse into God's endless creativity. See, Genesis 1 is not meant to be an exhaustive list of everything that God has created. It's just a sort of highlight reel, an overview of what God is capable of doing. So when Genesis 1 tells us that there is day and there is night, we know that it is a little more complex than that. There is dawn 
and there is dusk. And so when Genesis says that there is land and there is water, we know that there is also the estuary and the marsh and the wetland, these interweaving networks of land and water that are not as clearly defined as we might like them to be all the time. See, the creation story is doing a very particular kind of work for its community. It's attempting to say that everything comes from and belongs to God, and it just hits the gist of it. This is the very reason the line, and the stars, jumps out at me so strongly. In a seemingly binary or rigid text, we get a hint of the messiness. The sun rules the day and the moon rules the night, but we can still marvel at the stars. I think it's important for us, as God's creation, that what God makes is brilliantly diverse and fabulously mysterious. It all began with and came from and still resembles a different kind of chaos. God just brought something new into it. At the end of our scripture reading today, God decides to create humanity in God's own image. This is one of my favorite moments in all of scripture. And at this particular point in time, in history, it feels especially urgent to relentlessly affirm that all people bear the divine image. And because we are made in the image of God, And because we are God's creation, we are also endlessly creative and infinite in design and identity. When something is wrong or the chaos is overwhelming, we are capable of seeking something new, of channeling God's light in the world, the very light we see in Genesis 1. For example, today is Juneteenth. It's a day to commemorate when the very last enslaved peoples of the United States learned they had been set free. It took two whole years for the news of the Emancipation Proclamation and freedom from slavery to travel nationwide. And so when the last slaves heard this news in Galveston, Texas, they celebrated the day, June 19th, and called it Jubilee Day. See, before it was termed Juneteenth, the historian Jamar Tisby clarifies that the very first peoples who celebrated this day referred to it as Jubilee Day. It's a biblical reference to how the Israelites celebrated their liberation from bondage. Freedom, liberation, this was a new reality for the Israelites when they celebrated it after the book of Exodus. The term Jubilee comes from Leviticus. It was a new thing, freedom, and the new thing of freedom was good. See, the promise of God is that there is always another way, something newer, something freer, that comes about through God's creative spirit. The creation story in Genesis shows us a glimpse of this, And so when enslaved peoples, when civil rights advocates later fought for a new reality, 
They were following the same creative spirit of God, the same one that hovers over the waters in the beginning, over the chaos in beginning, and a new thing comes out of it. See, through God, new creations are always possible. From Genesis to Revelation and Selma to Stonewall, God remains a God of creative newness. So Genesis says that God creates. And God creates in and through chaos. They're not mutually exclusive. And as bearers of the divine image, we are responsible for following the very spirit that hovered over the waters in this mission of creation too. Our story begins with newness, and the Genesis begins with newness. And this story is still unfolding, even though this book has closed. Genesis says that God creates Over the next few weeks, you will hear a lot more stories from Genesis about the infinite possibilities of God, but remember that it all began with God creating. Amen.